All right, well, let's go then now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because that echoes this. And uh, we judge Scripture with Scripture, and it's such a great revelation uh, what's laid out here for us. 1 Corinthians 15, now I'm going to read 50 to 58. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, so if you don't have that Bible with you, they'll put it up on the screen, and then uh, I'll read it in the New American Standard, and you can just read along in whatever translation you enjoy. But I'm going to read verse 15 through, or 50 through 58 in the uh, New Living Translation. Ready? Okay. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So see, our physical bodies are temporary, but there's a a spirit on the inside of us. And it says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. So there's a group of people that will be on the earth when Jesus gathers us up, and it will be fascinating. It will be not unlike Enoch or Elijah, who both uh, bypassed death. They were, they were prototype um, people that walked with God, and uh, they, were, they, they pulled the rapture out of its historical context. They were so walking with, closely with the Lord. Uh, Enoch, in particular, he walked with God, and then he was not. Elijah whined and complained and wanted to die, and God wouldn't even let him die. I love that. So you got Enoch, who's living an exemplary life, and then you got Elijah, who's whining and wishes he was dead, but God goes, no, no, I don't want you to die, and he never even granted him his wish, and I'm really glad for that. But this does tell us some things about the supernatural realm and eternity and and the spirit world and things like that. It's pretty pretty amazing, but it says uh, in verse 52, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Can I tell you, that's going to be an amazing day. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And so um, our destiny in the Lord is actually to have a glorified body which is really hard to even fathom. There's no reference point really for us. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Verse 54, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? These are like fighting words. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul tells us the sting, the sin, that sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power, but thank God. Everybody say, but thank God. Because sin and the law are formidable elements, but yet, thank God, he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. I don't think you heard that. Uh, I'll read it to you in the New American Standard. Uh, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times we lift that out of context and quote it, and it stands alone. It's a a flat statement that you can pick, look at, as is, and it'll bring a serious uplift in your heart. But in the context, it's, uh, it's amazing. 
that, it, it, you know, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus, who never sinned, became sin for us so that we might have access, we, and he didn't come for the righteous, he came for sinners. You know what qualifies us to come into the new birth? That we're sinners. That's what we bring to the table. So when we come to the table, we don't come with any of our uh, special bragging or any kind of uh, a thing to, to impress God with. What we come with is brokenness, emptiness, and, uh, and he comes with this amazing mercy. And in fact, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and he has unpacked this right here on the dinner table of our faith. And I want you to partake of this and understand it, because look what it says in verse 58. I'll read 57 again. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. We have the victory. Life conquers death. Who has ever been with, with people or you've lost a loved one? Let me see a show of hands. Yeah, and it, it's, a, it's a challenging transition. It's heartbreaking. You, you know, you, you, you immediately, you grieve, you miss people. But man, when you understand to be absent from the body for a believer is to be present with the Lord, it takes a bit of the sting out of it, doesn't it? We still cry, we still miss them, no question about it. And Christians need to be sensitive to each other about that because no two of us has, have the same grieving process. And when you say, oh, I know how you feel, or I've been through what you've been through, you don't know how they feel, and you don't know what they've been through, even though you may have lost a loved one and they're very similar, the, the bottom line is we're all so different that we just, uh, we just don't have to say any of those kinds of things. We could just, we could, but we can go back and say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Amen? And I want to just carve out a moment and look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Wow. If you're a note taker, you ought to write down these points and spread some on your page. Put the top of it, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, and and it's, uh, it starts out with, Therefore, my beloved brethren. Therefore, my beloved brethren. In the New Living Translation, it says it a little more, Contemporary, it says, so my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Oh, I like that. So let's carve out a moment with this verse. And uh, just the exhortation to be steadfast implies that it's possible. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when I was a young Christian, the guy said, I was getting ready to go to my car after a Bible study, and the, the guy said, be strong. And, uh, or no, another time he said, be encouraged. And, and then he didn't say anything to encourage me, but I thought, <laughs> I thought, I don't, wait, I don't need to wait around for him to say anything to encourage me. Just, just, he's just saying, get, enter into the state where you embrace the courage-producing power of God in your life. That's what this is saying here. Be steadfast. He's saying, therefore, my beloved brethren. I mean, if he just said, therefore, my beloved brethren, at the end of the chapter, just that we're called beloved brethren would make you uh, stand firm. Just that he has the therefore on it. But, but since we are, and since he's going to 
He's going to rectify all these things, a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, everything we see is temporal and it'll all pass away. The universe and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And there, there, there will be such, he'll make all things new. And he's going to give us these amazing uh, uh, new dimensions in the spirit and in, in wa our walk with him in the ages to come. It says in uh, Ephesians 2, 7 that we were saved so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his mercy and his grace. So when we're walking around in heaven, we're going to be every step. It's going to be an example of God's mercy and grace because none of us deserve it. We couldn't have earned it. And we're going to all know it so acutely there will be zero pride. There will be zero spiritual spiritualizing. We will all just be, man. I don't know if we'll be speaking Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek or whatever. I don't know. But whatever the word is for wow and man, I'm sure I'm going to get to say that. <laughs> Core in my vocabulary. I'm from Southern California. You can't, can't get the boy out of Southern California. But anyway... It says, be steadfast. Be steadfast is, um, I looked it up in the dictionary. It means resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Um, I've watched little children in situations lift up their little eyes and look at the faces of their parents to determine What's, this, what's how bad the situation is. And parents that understand that, understand the necessity to be steadfast. I watched the mothers in Ukraine walking with their children, and they had that in their eyes. They had that in their eyes. It's just, a, come on, it'll be all right. They're, they're doing what they can to, to carry their kids in, and out of a crisis situation and forward into an uncertain future. And I'm watching the church go through seasons, two years of a pandemic, socially distanced, conflicts, attitudes, heightened tensions on already volatile social issues, difficulties, trials, challenges. But in the context of the Roman Empire and the occupation of the Roman Empire, the Romans created a form of of uh, capital corporal punishment called crucifixion. We're going to talk about that by Easter. That was designed to be brutal. It was cruel and unusual punishment. They were so wicked. What they imposed on Jesus was the most harsh kind of death because you know what, how bad it's going to be going to it. You suffer through it. Uh, you usually die of suffocation. Uh, they were going to break his legs, but he had already died because prophetically it was not, no bones would be broken. And, uh, but yet, he suffered and died so in order that we could be called, therefore, my beloved brethren. Who in here is glad you're accepted in the beloved? Not on the basis of our performance or our deeds. I'm standing over here with my brother. We were worshiping God at the altar. And uh, I thought about how lost we were and how... Uh, God brought us into the kingdom separately from each other, and now here we are walking with the Lord in our adult lives. We're both over 28 now. We've been living for the Lord for a while. And uh, I just want to tell you that I think the word equilibrium came to me when I was preparing this message. It, it's not often in my vocabulary, but equilibrium, I looked it up, is the state in which 
opposing forces or influences are balanced. And um, there's tension in, in the air. And there's, there's tension between age brackets. There's tension between genders. There's tension between socioeconomic uh, pockets and tribes. And, um, but listen, if we understand it in God, we, it can work to our advantage and we could go forward stabilized. Here's what I mean. When we would put a tent up out in the parking lot, there, there, uh, we've, we've put tents up for many years. We've had, t- we, Patsy and I used to have tent meetings back years and years ago and go to different towns with a tent. And we, we, tents are great because it can rain and you can still have church. And, you know, uh, uh, I like tents. And, but when you put up a tent, I, I see uh, John Kowalik, he, he helped put up the tent out there uh, not so many, a couple of years ago, right out there, and, and, and with his sons. And, you know, you, you get the pole and you get the ropes and you get the stakes and you, you, you start to pull. And then there's, there's, there's so much tension um, that you have to drive the stakes at an angle uh, deeply enough. We have, we have stakes that are like three feet long. In some cases, we use uh, a driver to pound them in. Oftentimes, it's a sledgehammer, but... However we do it, once, once it's done, there's, there's a balance. There's, a, there's an equilibrium that comes. So I believe the Lord wants us to have um, balance. I think if society could have balance, it would help, wouldn't it? But the devil loves imbalance. He likes to throw people off and get people in, in uh, strife. Because where there's jealousy and, and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. But, and strife is a, an inhibitor to progress. Um, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. So, but yet be angry and sin not. So we can have our positions. We can even have opposing viewpoints. Uh, I can say this for as a husband and wife. Um, you know, we are, we have a lot of differing viewpoints, my wife and me. And we've learned the value of that. Rather, rather than be offended or fight or try to com- you know, get the other person on your side, on your, to sway to your opinion, it's like, wait a minute, this is to my advantage that she sees it in a whole different perspective. It took time to get there, didn't it? But, uh, and, and it's taken time for her too, because you, you know, you get on the defensive, you guard yourself, I'm right, and you get, and that's immaturity. But, but when you understand the value of, of uh, equilibrium and balance, listen, it's easy to be extreme. It's easy. It's easy to be extreme. It's hard to be balanced. And the reason it's hard to be balanced is because you got to work at it. It's easy to be on one side or the other and go, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, well, you're an idiot. Till you join me on my side, you're a doofus. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to say that, doofus. You know, that's about, that's about how creative it gets, right? And you're hearing that all the time. Fault-finding, strife. In the body of Christ, I believe there's a unity that's coming. It's not baseless ec- ecumenism. It's based on the Word of God. And it's, and, but there's some tensions between some of the mysterious elements, say, in theology. And, 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 but if we can love one another and we can see the value of... I mean, we don't want to go cultic. and We don't want to embrace doctrines of demons. But we also don't want to demonize everybody else too quickly. 
We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, but yet, it all emanates out of how fantastic this context is, both in Colossians and in 1 Corinthians, that, man, you've been redeemed. Uh, you know, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, I think, verse 23 or something, you're redeemed, not with silver or gold, but with the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I mean, you're born again to a new life. And, and, and if anyone's in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. Therefore, be steadfast. But that doesn't mean stubborn. Be steadfast means have resolve. Be firm, unwavering, and, 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 and having done all to stand, stand, it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Number two, very similar, immovable. King James says unmovable. There, there's like a phrase I stumbled over an obstacle, yet regained my equilibrium. There are influences that are trying to knock you off your course every day, all day long, all the time. But having done all to stand, we stand. See, even a meeting like this, a little of this will go a long way. And just urging us to, hey, I'm going to be steadfast. And, and, and this has helped me navigating through the body of Christ with leaders that don't agree exactly with, say, for example, I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, but I have had beautiful fellowship with cessationists who believe those gifts passed away with the apostles. Well, then, am I gonna, is that going to be a deal breaker? And then am I going to say, well, I go to a full gospel church, so yours is only a three-quarter or a half gospel church? Those things are inflammatory, right? That's insulting. And, uh, but when you see how bright and beautiful the kingdom of God is and how amazing God is, then it opens up your heart to consider the bigger picture to help you. Oh, I, I sat under a guy that he thought he, that our little group was right and everybody else was wrong. That was right before the fall. I listened to a little of that and I thought, that doesn't sound very good. And it didn't work out very well. There's a big, beautiful, divested body. Of, God has made a, uh, he's, he's divested, what is it, divested his portfolio. He's got a big body of believers on the top of the northern hemisphere and on the bottom. And all around every, the longitude and latitude of every time zone, hallelujah. We need to be steadfast and we need to be immovable. Not bullheaded, not dogmatic, but not compromising not backing off. This will preach. Uh, in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Doesn't that sound similar? And not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Here's a young man that works at Boeing. I'm in the midst of a bunch of... Uh, educated engineers, logic-type people, the Jesus I know can appeal to their systems of viewpoints. But and, and, and there are people that have come through severe drug problems. I remember in the hippie era that I got saved in, you would think that the hippies would lead the hippies to the Lord, and in a lot of cases, they did. But also, God used the grandma that never sipped a beer her whole life though she never could relate to the drug abuse problems of the youth culture, yet they, were, they would carry the love of God and this maternal kind of sweet presence and 
skill about the grace of God, and God would end up using that lady's testimony to lead this person out of darkness. Does that make sense to you? The banker needs the biker. The biker needs the banker. This whole divisive thing, this dividing thing. Oh, look, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul doesn't idealize the church. He just dreams about the church. He dreams about people that have this steadfastness, this creative thinking, this, 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 this inclination. And, and, I, and let, I, we have to go to it now. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Because I think this is, this is my goal, really, uh, for, for our church. And this is my goal for our times. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any cons- consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, look at this, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Look at verse 2, man. That is a big, action-packed, chock-full of of amazingly clear-painted targets. He says, be of the same mind. Now, that's not robotic like cultic where we just talk the same way like a bunch of uniform robots and we have the same Nikes and some matching track suits. (laughs) Cults do that. The kingdom of God is so eclectic when it's done right. God wants it to be that way. The earth is eclectic. There's an oak tree, then there's a pine tree, and then there's pampas grass, and then there's a rock, and then there's a creek, and then there are Canada geese. Walking across Manchester Road on rush hour, acting like they own the place. Actually, acting like they have a Heavenly Father that's protecting them. And I, you know how... I don't like that species of animal. But that's what I, I thought. They were just, they were walking along. They were walking real slow, too. They weren't, in a, they weren't like, excuse me, sorry. They were walking real slow. They had attitude. And it was Manchester Road. If you're not from here, Manchester Road was poorly planned. Right? Don't try a left turn on Manchester Road unless you have Psalm 91 committed to memory. (laughs) But that's what I told my wife. And in fact, I couldn't even believe it came out of my mouth. I gave them, I honored them. They act like they have a heavenly father who cares for them. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that about those geese. Who has stories about Canada geese? Oh yeah, I've been attacked by Canada geese. Okay, so, uh, so steadfast and immovable. Say this, steadfast and immovable. Now, so we know what it means, what it doesn't mean. We know that there's tension between ideas, but that, in fact, a beautiful giant tent, you know, Cirque du Soleil has come in town, and they have tents that are so sophisticated and huge. There, I, I saw a tent over off of Brentwood, uh, that has a Van Gogh uh, uh, exhibit with the uh, lights and things like that. And they have a tent out there in the parking lot. And I know something of what it takes. Winds, they make it where it can withstand like 70 mile per hour winds. And uh, so even though this is, seems to be a flimsy sort of abbreviated temporal life we live in, God actually is calling us to be steadfast in it, immovable in it, 
strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You know, you may have been sucker punched over and over again recently. In fact, I'm sure in some ways you have. We all have. And I, there's, as a pastor, I would never trivialize anything anybody's ever going through. Because it's important to you, it's important to God, and he cares about the little details of your life. But he's even telling you to be steadfast and immovable. He's telling us, now whether you're doing great or whether things are rough, develop a resolute firmness and be unwavering and stand your ground. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I think about Romans 12, 11, where he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And I think serving the Lord is just making yourself available to him. You know, you, you, when, when you get near a server at a restaurant, what can I do for you? How may I help you? What would you like? And that, that kind of, if, if, we, if we decide to have a servant heart and have that kind of orientation, then, then we make ourselves available to do what the Lord leads us to do. And I, again, I love the way it's worded in the New Living Translation. So my dear friends, brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about enthusiasm. And um, he talked about how it's an, it's an irreplaceable component. It's not just giddiness. It's not being loud. It's not, you know, it's not artificial. It actually, it, it actually doesn't even emanate from our humanity. It's it, entheos. It comes from the word entheos, which means to be possessed by God. And when you know you're, therefore, my beloved brethren, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you know that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel... And you know Ephesians 2.10 says that you're his workmanship and you're created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Then you read this in the New Living Translation and it says, uh, knowing, for you, know, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Isn't that awesome? So you submit it to the Lord, even if it seems menial, even if it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, I'll tell you what I think in the kingdom of God some of the greater miracles are accomplished through simple, basic acts of obedience. And we don't even, we don't even always know um, the outcomes. In fact, we don't often get, the, get to know. One time I was discouraged and God spoke to my heart and said, um, you know, you're, really, you're, you're not going to see uh, the full outcome of this until you, you're in heaven. You know, so it was like, okay. Because so, I was kind of looking for some reinforcement. And so, uh, but as we grow, we get content and we actually get embedded in our spirit knowing that nothing we do for the Lord is ever useless. Just some act of kindness, just passing out a, a gospel tract, just praying for somebody. A drive-by where you pray, stretch your, hand, stretch your hand toward a household and pray for somebody. God does answer prayer. Say, so, well, but should we go knock on the door and see what happened? Um, probably not. There are stalking laws now. You shouldn't. But you just seek the Lord about it and trust God about it and believe, knowing that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Before I got married and went to Bible school, I was scraping uh, gum off of the floor at the toy store that I worked in while I was going through college. And the manager was kneeling there with a razor, scraping it with me on the other, on, and there, were, there was gum and stuff everywhere, you know, kids, because it's a toy store. I guess the parents threw the gum out. I don't know. It's probably the parents. <laughs> but it, but uh, so I, 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 it was after hours, and I, and I said, um, my labor is not in vain in the Lord. And the, and the manager said, excuse me? And I, and I, oh, I was just, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, I was trying to, my knees were, you know, I was just reminding myself that in all labor, there's profit, you know. He said, hey, I want you to come with me. I'm going to do the deposit at the bank. I want you to ride with me. I was like, okay. So we went from scraping gum. This is management. This is, this is leadership. This is business ownership, you know. He's the guy that has to scrape the gum. He has to run, make sure he gets the money to the bank and make sure all the payroll's met, make sure all the workers are on time. We got in the car, and he, uh, we're driving from the, the store to the bank, and he, and he said, uh, so now you, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah. He said, how come at 26 years old my wife died? And I went, he was, you know, he's, I was in my early 20s. He was probably 30, but he was, you know, an old, a mature adult from my point of view, you know. But he had lost his, his wife, and I, 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 I didn't have a quick answer for him. I just, I just went, man, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what to say to that. You know, she died of a disease, and, and he was hurt toward God. And, um, but it was in the context of scraping gum that... He uh, wanted to open up, not to pick a theological argument with a young Christian, but he's reaching out for help. And, you know, Patsy can attest to this. Um, we, 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 we had a terrific uh, uh, flow, and we would run into him over the years, 10, 15 years later, 20 years later, and we, it would just we would run into each other in the public as if we had no time had lapsed. And, um, and I, you know, I don't know, I, I lost track of him in a recent time, but um, you know that what the scripture says here is nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So like counseling somebody that's not seeming to listen to you or pay attention to what you're saying while you're hurting, but yet you give them this life-giving reproof, and they don't even listen to it. But you, at least you know it's not, it's not useless. Right. You know, you keep, you keep showing up. You know, you, you're, your friend is, you know, uh, near death's door. And it, it's, it, you just, you're there, and you show up, and you love them. And, it, and you'd rather not because you don't want to see them in that state. You want to remember them when they were vibrant. But yet, you go the extra step, let them know you love them. Remember, Pastor Virgil sang Amazing Grace for a lady's dad. Um, I think it hastened his death, don't you? He died right after you sang it. <laughs> he died while he was singing it. So see, it wasn't useless. It God helped him. He thought, it's just going to be better that I go be with the Lord now. 
And I tease him about that, but actually it created an atmosphere of worship. You know, even, when, even if it's not completely on key, my scrape, in the, my, scrape, my scrape in the gum I don't think was completely on key. Even quoting that verse was like, my labor is not in vain in the Lord. I was trying to talk myself you know, into a better attitude. But the Lord, it wasn't, that wasn't even useless. And so, be steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. All, you know, stay six feet away from each other. Who's, what side are you on with vaccines, with masks? With, what, what side are you on with this? What side are you on with, um, you know, all these social reforms and all these issues. I mean, I, you know, I could pick up 15 or 20 of these hot points. But if we can learn as maturing Christians to walk in and go, you know what? There are two sides or two viewpoints on things. And it's worth listening to and considering what somebody else's opinion is about a thing. Without going on the defensive, without figuring out how to argue with them or fight with them. The Lord's bondservants are not to be quarrelsome but we're to be gentle, we're to be kind. And um, not pushovers. We're, when you have equilibrium, you can't be, I shall not be moved. But the last thing I want to advocate is bullheaded, brutish dogma and, and, and bigotry and, and, being a, and being a blunt instrument through life. I remember we had two funerals in the church here in this building. One was with Kelly Rhodes and one was... Uh, a police officer, fallen police officer, Blake Snyder. And uh, Kelly Rhodes was, uh, he was a perpetrator of, he was, he, he was involved with crime before he got saved. And there was a policeman that was from St. Louis, or from uh, a Maryland Heights Police. He was often his arresting officer. And um, the place was packed for Kelly Rhodes' funeral because he was such a loving guy. And the place, of course, was packed in honor of Blake Snyder, the tragedy of his, of his uh, death. But the, in the middle of it was the story of Kelly Rhodes the, the, and the arresting officer. And at a certain point, they were both ushers in our church. And Kelly, they loved each other, but Kelly always felt shame and couldn't keep eye contact with the guy that, was the, the, that had arrested him. So fine, but the... the the police officer that had arrested him often, he told me this around the time Blake Snyder died. He said, Kelly, look, you just got to get over it. You're a new creation. The whole things pass away and all things have become new. So here I am. I'm looking at the guy that was arrested by this guy. Now, they're both in our church. They're both born again. They're both serving in the same ushering. One's from the biker gang, uh, kind of lifestyle. The other one's in, in, you know, a uniform kind of guy in the police work. Totally different, but yet we've entered in as brothers and sisters. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and the great equalizer that creates equilibrium in the kingdom, where we can, um, you know, your mom went to church with a pastor that was anti-charismatic. And she was kind of, she was fueled by that and was resistant to my belief system. Well, then that pastor had a, a, a fall. And, um, and I, 
I found out later that I was the only one that ever, only pastor in town that called him. So he came here for two years or three years in our church in the, in the in environment that he initially didn't totally agree with in all the theological points. But you know what he told me? He came up and stood right there and, and, and with tears in his eyes, and he said, now I know, and he, you know, he called it a charismatic church. I don't really have labels for what I do, but I'm, I'm a believer. I, I'm a Jesus follower. That's how I feel. But um, he said it, it, it heals hurting people. So all our labor, none of our labor is in vain in the Lord. And um, so say this with me. Be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So let's all stand up on our feet because I think we need to realize that things we do in God, nothing is useless. And there are seeds to sow, there are opportunities around the corner that you need to pay attention to. Somebody told me at a staff meeting that uh, I was at the gas pump. It's more painful visiting the gas pump now, isn't it? Did you notice that? It's like you got to refinance your house to fill your gas tank now. But I saw all the way across. I was on. I always my custom was to go on this this uh, gas station that has rows of pumps. So I go to this outside. It's just the one I go to. How many of you have a certain pump you go to, and when you pull in there and there's somebody there? That's just not right. Okay, so then, he, but I saw this guy, and I walked over to him, and I said, hey, sir, you know Jesus loves you? He said, as a matter of fact, I do. I'm a pastor. And um, his wife had just left him that day. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was Tina's, it was Kara who, Tina, yeah, yeah, your daughter was, and, and he, this is what happened, and he got, it was a, it was a turning point for him that day. What? Come, come up and tell us, Tina. Whether you want to or not. So I'm trying to illustrate a point about be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we could get so preoccupied and so wounded and so guarded, we don't open up to anybody anymore. We've got to stay open. This is Tina, Scott's wife. I, um, my daughter, Kara, was going um, out of town. She was going to Nashville, and she called an Uber. And um, the guy in the car, she got in, and he was playing praise and worship music. And she said, oh, I really appreciate that. And he said, she was you a believer? And he said, yeah, I'm a, I was a pastor. And, um, <clears throat> and she said, oh. And he said, well, what church did you go to what church you go to and she said St. Louis Family Church and he said he kind of chuckled and he said you know um, I used to see your pastor on commercials and I really didn't give you know you know he, he, he just was he said but then <clears throat> he said I went through a really hard time I had found out that my wife um, had been seeing someone else and left me and he said I was at the gas station and he said, I uh, was there, and I was brokenhearted, and he goes, this man walks over to me and said, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And he said, and who was it but your pastor? And so he just said, uh, he goes, it encouraged me on the hardest day of my life. 
and he said that God turned his life around and he forgave forgave her but their marriage didn't stay but he um, found a new new bride and they're serving Jesus together and he just said he, he was um, so thankful that God sent someone to him on that day and he, he never thought it would be Pastor Jeff but it but it was <laughs> well and I don't I don't think I even wanted to do it I think I looked over and I thought, God, are you telling me to do that? Okay. I, I, what if he, what if he rejects me? That invisible barrier of fear. And um, you know, I'm just referring to stuff I've heard. There are testimonies in here that are far more amazing than what I just said. The, 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 but yet, none of what we do is useless in the Lord. Here's what I want you to do before we go. I want, you to, I want you to turn around and grab hands with somebody and pray for somebody. And I want you to believe God for a series of, of divine encounters and opportunities. Don't be nervous about it. Just realize that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I, and I, I want to pray for you that you would be steadfast and be strengthened today and gain your courage. And... Um, and not grow weary in doing well, because in due time you'll reap if you faint not. So I want you to find somebody to pray about, look, around, look for and look around a little bit. Pick, somebody, pick a couple people, and we're going to just, the musicians are going to play this out instrumentally on the guitars. And I want you to cover each other in prayer in the name of Jesus. Come on. Find a couple people to pray. <laughs> 